when it comes to ethical marketing is that our measures of success aren't just the amount of money that's coming in the door or the revenue that we're making. You can sell all the promises and never deliver. And for a while, that business model might work for you. But most of the people that I work with, and certainly for myself in business, my measures of success are far more nuanced than just making money. and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpose, Homework Law, and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture, and yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. Hello, you are in for a real treat today. I have the lovely Anna Rogan on, who is a copywriter, and you can find her over at annarogan.com. Make sure you do give her a stalk on the socials as well. All the links will be in the show notes. But Anna is amazing. I've worked with Anna. First, I got acquainted to her with her uh, with someone else's, Sophie, who does my headshots and branding photography. Sophie Timothy at Sister Scout has this amazing headshot day page. And I read the copy on that page and was like, this copy is amazing. I need to hire whoever wrote this copy. And that ended up being Anna. I didn't end up hiring, hiring her until about probably 12 months later when I needed a sales page reworked for my course, my Google ads course. But I was in a couple of group programs with Anna and got to know her and she is just divine. And she's really good at what she does. She's an amazing copywriter. She is an ethical copywriter. She works on um, email copywriting website and launch copywriting. And she doesn't rely on old school sleazy sales tactics where you kind of overpromise and underdeliver. She is really passionate about ethical copywriting and embedding that in all her projects. And it's something that definitely comes through with the copy that she writes for you as a client. She lives on an olive farm and she has a degree in psychology, a postgrad in writing and a long career in comms and media roles uh, with some pretty big brands. But these days she writes for purpose-driven, heart-led small businesses and entrepreneurs. And I worked, like I said, worked with Anna recently on a sales page for Profitable Promotion, which is my 12-week Google Ads program. And then swiftly booked three more days with Anna because she's so amazing and I love working with her. So in this chat, we talk a lot about Uh, the actual logistics behind having a copywriting business and what that looks like on the back end when you're working on more time-based projects. So someone will book a day with Anna and rather than having more longer-term six- to eight-week project-type jobs. And we talk about how that's different from my model of being a service-based business and the pros and cons of each. And then what happens when clients kind of get scope creep and they might go outside those boundaries And we talk also about how ethical copywriting is still hyper compelling and hyper successful and you don't need to sacrifice kind of results for being a really honest (laughs) marketer with integrity. So I loved this conversation. I think you're going to love it too. And let's dive in. Okay. I have the amazing Anna Rogan on. I'm so excited, Anna. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Can you please tell people who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm Anna Rogan. I'm a copywriter. Um, I work with mainly service-based small businesses and I help them write things like their website and their launch copy. And I am all about ethical marketing. So I like to help people sell their things without feeling gross and weird and resorting to manipulative sales tactics that we all, let's just agree, that we hate. Yeah, I think um, so because I, for those that listen to the podcast, will know that I have a course-based business where I use copywriting and copywriting is a really good tool to to sell the products and services that you're wanting to sell because you don't have that face-to-face contact. If you know, if you're in e-commerce, you don't have that salesperson doing it in store and copy has a really important job in that process. But I think one of the drawbacks that I found that I didn't want to have that really I don't know you know those copy those pages you land on where it's like do this and you'll become a millionaire kind of thing yeah and I think that's always what I thought of when you're writing sales copy it has to be that really spammy sleazy kind of copy and can you tell me whether that like how did you because ethical copywriting is one of your big um it's something you're really passionate about. Yeah. Was it ever since you became a copywriter that that was at the forefront of your mind, I want to make sure I'm doing this in an ethical way, or was it something that you just kind of landed on and, and wanted to dive more into? Um, a bit of both, I would say. I My career before I went freelance, I worked at one of Australia's big four banks um, in in the comms and media team, so doing lots of reputation management. So I've always been really aware of how the words we use are send a message between the lines, not just what we're saying but what we're implying Mm. um, and can be how they're read and acted upon. And when I left <clears throat> when I left the bank, I felt like it wasn't a good fit for me and I went and worked for the Mental Health Complaints Commissioner, which was a brand-new statutory body that had come out of the new Mental Health Act in Victoria. Um, and so that awareness of the way that I was writing and the audience and the way the words were intended, the message that was intended and the message that was received and that sometimes disconnect and the power of the language power of words and the power of language um, just deepened for me because the audience of the Mental Health Complaints Commissioner is people with the lived experience of mental health challenges across a broad spectrum of the Australian population. So I came into copywriting with this really sort of already an understanding of wanting to be inclusive, um, of also I'm just interested in nuance and context and I, I felt that this direct response, really sales-type copywriting had a way of stripping all the context and nuance and beauty out of the messages that we are trying to tell with our writing. So I came in, you know, already feeling that way. But while I'm working as a copywriter, I became more aware of the marketing industry um, and how we market and how consumerism and capitalism and you know all of how all of these forces play together and interact together to tell us we should buy things that maybe we don't need or wouldn't be good for us and that I really wanted to not play in that part of the industry that I was working in and that actually I wanted to 
actively work against some of the more harmful practices that I was seeing in this industry that I'm that my profession sits within. And I feel some of that too because being in marketing, it can like old school marketing is very much that uh, it's c- kind of coin bro marketing or where it's very um, I don't know it just it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like it sits right with a lot of people. And it's intended to make you feel maybe less than and that this will be the, the silver bullet. And I, from a, um, a course provider's perspective, it's actually you don't want to be selling people something that's not right for them because it then just leads to a bad experience and that then reflects badly on your product or service anyway. I think, though, that what people, the maybe the discourse that goes through someone's mind when they're thinking about ethical copywriting is that, the thought might be, well, does that, is that effective? Does it still lead to mm. good results? So can you talk to me a bit about that, if that you've had any pushback around that or is is that something that, yeah, that people think, like, well, if it's ethical copywriting, does that mean it's boring and bland and it's going to just be mm. really, like how do, you, how do you kind of tackle that? Yeah, I haven't had any pushback around that but I, I have felt that myself and wondered about those things myself. And and so what I think about when it comes to ethical marketing is that our measure our measures of success aren't just the amount of money that's coming in the door or the revenue that we're making. Because if your goal or your measure of success is just about how much money you're making, then it really doesn't matter how you make that money. Mm. It really doesn't matter if you're telling people that the thing you're selling is going to give them X when, in fact, it doesn't do that at all because you're just taking, the money's just coming in. You can tell them you can sell all the promises and never deliver and for a while that business model might work for you. But most of the people that I work with and certainly for myself in business, my measures of success are far more nuanced than just making money. Making money is really important. I want to make money. (laughs) It gives me lots of other things in my life. But also I want to feel good about what I'm delivering. I want to know that the work that I do has impact. When I do work for people, blogging, for example, I used to do a lot of blogging in my early copywriting career. But it always felt, and I'm no shade to blog copywriters because I think there's definitely a space for that service in our industry, but I never felt really satisfied with writing blogs for people because I I couldn't see the impact that that was really happening. It just felt like churn and burn work. Like, I don't have time to do this for myself. Can you do it for me? It's like, yeah, I can, but what are we hoping to achieve here? What are we, you know, what's the bigger goal here? What do we want to get out of it? I think that measures of success. So for me, it's like having an impact with my work, knowing that um, the words that I deliver for someone, that that's really lightened someone's load, that they've felt seen and heard, that the words that I've created for them are like, oh, yes, that's that's me, that's my voice, that they're getting customers in that way, that it's, you know, hitting all these other measures of success that I think about when I think about my work beyond just getting money in the door. So that's the one thing. But the other thing is ethical copywriting or ethical marketing is effective financially because it's a longer term, more sustainable business model than selling a dream that you don't deliver Mm. because you get people coming back for more because they get a result and then they come back wanting or they talk about you. You get the referrals, you get the word of mouth and maybe it's a longer term strategy. 
maybe it's a maybe it doesn't get the quick hits that the really hard direct sales direct response kind of copywriting or marketing gets for you but I think that it's more successful longer term and more satisfying and a more holistic approach than that you know make the money make it quickly move on to the next thing style of business ownership and entrepreneurship when you're I I love everything that you've just said and I agree that building those long-lasting relationships and the, the repeat customers and the word-of-mouth referrals is going to be so much more effective long-term. What happens, though, when you're the copywriter that has been hired to do a specific job? You usually have a, a tangible, like I've recently gotten you to work on a sales page for me, and the specific job was I want this sales page, you know, I want this sales page delivered. And the metrics used to usually evaluate your success on that job are very much financial or they're very metric-based. So how do you kind of reconcile those two where you are very excited when you get, I'm sure that is such a thrill because it's a tangible um, impact of your skill that this sales copy increased the conversion rate from X to X percent, for example, and that's a very tangible thing that you you can then take and think, well, I made this much of a difference on that Mm. particular job. So how do you kind of reconcile the two where you are, you do kind of need those tangible outcomes to be able to, I don't know, almost get a pat on the back for yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think about those harder metrics as one of the ingredients in the soup. Hmm. So um, the other thing that I loved about working with you is that you were really satisfied with the words that I wrote. Yeah. So that the metrics-based stuff came with these other measures and they're all part of what I look for and the satisfaction that I get out of working in the way that I work. And the one thing I just want to jump in there, the one thing I loved about, because before the sales page went live and everything like that, it felt like it was, I, I, I've always found it hard to be, because I'm selling a course that teaches people how to run successful paid ads, but whenever I've had maybe other copywriters look at it or the first instinct has always been to be like, make as much cash as you can, like copy injected inside that sales page. Mm. And my thing has always been like, no, no, but it's not for everyone. Like there's, there's specific types of businesses that this course won't work for, or there's specific, and I'm very upfront with like turning away clients or turning away students if that's not the right thing for them, because I would hate for someone to sign up to a course and then spend Mm. money on it. And it's the worst thing they've or it's not relevant to what they do and so the thing I loved about you working with you is that you were you managed to be really compelling it's still really compelling copy but it's not buy this or else your life will end kind of copy yeah and the way that you achieve that one of the ways that you can achieve that is by using actual benefits you know you had such great customer feedback and such great great voice of customer data that I had a look at it and ran a little analysis on to see what are people actually saying about what they're getting out of this course? Mm. What do they love about it? What are the benefits that they are actually getting from it? And let's inject some of that into what we're writing. You know, it's that lovely kind of Venn diagram of what you love about what you're delivering and what your customers love about what you're delivering. And it's finding that juicy middle bit and making that stuff shine. What happens if you're halfway through a project or if you engage with a, a client engages with you and you start a project and you realize, hang on a second, this has that ever happened where you think this is not something that I feel comfortable delivering or 
completing or I don't feel like I want my words to be selling this product or service? Generally not. Do you think that comes down to your messaging and that you are yeah, very I do. much? I'm yeah. really clear now. I have a, web, a page on my website that is called What I Stand For, where I talk about how I approach the work and that I'm not about sleazy market, you know, that I'm not going to embellish claims that this is the way that I work and this is the way that I write. And that's part of my terms and conditions that people should read when they, (laughs) but also I'm very clear. (laughs) I'm very clear. I'm working on my back, my dubsado and um, (laughs) my back end to make my terms and conditions clearer. And when I do used to do projects my project quotes have a clear section that's like this is how I work this is how I write and I'm also it's my brand and what I'm known for and what I talk about is ethical copywriting and you know anyone who has knows anything about me knows that that's what I'm interested in the way that I write it's very clear on my website so I tend to get people who maybe aren't a good fit don't come through Mm. but I have had people I have had projects in the past where perhaps the product they're selling is an environmentally friendly product for example but it's clear once we're in the project that the real goals are like I'm filling a gap in the market with this product I want to make as much money as possible out of this and while that is a bit of a mismatch for me personally it doesn't mean that I can't write great copy that is inclusive and ethical and talks about the very real environmental benefits of having sustainable, this kind of sustainable product and choosing this kind of product over less sustainable ones. Uh So I'm, I, I suppose in a way I've been fortunate that I haven't had people hire me and finding out later, oh, they want me to write in a way that's very different to my beliefs or my values. But I think if that were to ever happen I would have, I'd have to have a conversation, I'd have to have the conversation, have to, you know, potentially look at it from an educative point of view and, yeah, open up a conversation about what the industry potentially this person is working in is like and what their, what their language and their words are communicating and, you know, are they aware of the societal context in which they're operating and, you know, all of those kind of things. But I don't have people coming to me and saying, I want a heavy sales approach on this. Yes. Yeah. With We were talking a bit off before, before we started recording and I'm really interested from a logistical perspective on um, the behind the scenes of a copywriting business because, as I was saying to you, that when I am working on a client-facing role, that it is more of a long-term engagement. So with a paid ads client, it'll be an ongoing arrangement usually because they need that consistently being managed over a period of time. Whereas you have a number of different service offerings where you do like a collaborative copy writing session or um, your copy collab. And then you also have where people can book days. So book a half day or book a full day of copy. And I'm sure there's there's some ongoing work sprinkled in there. But how does how do you logistically manage that side of the business where you're one month you might be booked up for three months in advance and then suddenly it comes time that you're like, oh, I haven't thought about marketing myself in the future. Where should we start with this? I have just um, rejigged all my offers um, and evolved my business more towards a time-based model than a project-based model. That means more of the short-term blocks, like a day 
day you book kind a day, of thing. you book mm-hmm. a week or you book a you know 90 minute session with me and we get through the work that we get through in that time I've worked for long enough to be pretty good at approximating what I can get through in the time and people tend to have a good sense of what they'll get in the time that they work with me as well and away from a project-based model where you come in you do the briefing and you know at the end of six weeks you've got a website written for you because there's all these other steps in between and I've maybe have multiple projects on the boil and I'm managing different deadlines and waiting for things to come back and all of that sort of it's a bit more beyond your control exactly um because I was finding that I wasn't enjoying that working in that model it wasn't getting the best out of me as a writer, I like to have a deadline. I work really well under pressure um, and having these sort of long timelines wasn't working to the, to my strengths of being able to think quickly and write quickly and edit as I go and all of these things that make a time-based model really perfect for the way that I like to work. And also have a fixed like end date. Like you know that on like if I book a day with you, I've got these six hours where I know you're going to be working on my copy. But then after that, you kind of shut your computer and job done kind of thing exactly and the thing that was happening uh that I was finding was we'd have these really tightly scoped projects and then we'd get into them and actually what the client needed to get the end result was this other thing you know this strategic element or um you know they wanted to launch their course and they wanted the sales page done but how were the emails performing and what were the and I was asking questions and sort of branching out in all these strategic directions but because we were in this very tightly scoped project it was like okay that's going we're going to have to change the scope and that means this and then there's added this and it's like if you buy my time you get you just you get all of it you Mm. get all the bit and if and you know you have a couple of days with me coming up and yes (laughs) if you get to them or the day before or whatever you're like actually I thought that I wanted to use my time doing this, but things have changed a bit and I want, I now want to, you know, head in this direction. We're going to look at this other aspect instead. Great. It's all, it's just a much more flexible and fluid kind of model that I think really works for, for me and my clients. It also means that I can see exactly where I'm booked out and I've been very intentional about how I structure my week. So I have a school-aged kid and a kid in daycare and my kid in daycare, she's in four days a week. So there's one day a week that I don't work because I'm with her. Um, there's one day a week that I do admin and emails and responding to people. And then I try to keep a day a week for that I call my create days. So they're doing my own marketing, doing my own social media posts or emails or creating my own things. Now, those create days kind of get a bit jumbled jumbled (laughs) or like Um, more flexible yeah because if I wake up and I have a cold and I have a full day booking and I know my brain is not on and I can't you know give my best to that day I want to be able to reschedule that person Mm, that happened to me yeah and so I want to give them a day that's that week or or you know a week no more than a week away because it's not fair to then say, oh, I'm booked out for six weeks, so you're going to have to drop in now in. That's not, that doesn't work. So so you've got that inbuilt flexibility to kind of shift things around if things don't go to plan, if you've got a sick kid or, because that would, I, I, I imagine that would be quite um, 
stressful if you had four day bookings in those four days and then you wake up and you've got a sick kid that you know will be sick for three days and won't be able to go back to daycare and suddenly you've got to fit in three full days of work that you don't have any capacity for over the next six weeks. Exactly. Mm. Uh, And you could maybe make that work. You could work. I could say, oh, I'm going to work night hours and I'm going to do this, that and the other, but I want my best brain on the work Mm. for my clients. I don't want to give them a, you know, I want to give them the best of me and a non-distracted version of me and all of that kind of stuff. So, so that day, you know, sometimes it's a create day, sometimes it's a client rescheduled day. I had a client book me up for half a day and their puppy got stung by a bee <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> and and we got on the call and they're like, he's fine, he's fine. Oh, he's not fine. His face is like his eyes are <laughs> swollen, swollen shut. We need to go take him to the vet and get some antihistamines. So that was fine. That was okay because I could take that time and spend it on doing something else and reschedule life happens and so you need to have that flexibility there but as we were talking about before we jumped on and started recording I took a large portion of December and January off because my son was starting school this year in February and I wanted to soak up as much of him as I could before he you know took that step and then because he was starting school and my partner was away for weeks in Feb um, off for his work on deployment, I had a really slow start to the year. I intentionally just went, I'm just going to focus on doing the client work that is booked in, doing these bookings um, and not worry about marketing myself, not worry about social media, not worry about anything else. I just want to get through this, focus on my son, focus on keeping the house running and do the client work that's been booked up. That's where my circle of priority needed to and energy needed to go and then I hit March and I'm used to being booked up months in advance and um, I was like oh there are bookings in March and I've had you know not very much income coming in because I've taken time off and I've had a slow slower month. And it was pre-booked all in December. It was so all pre-booked in December yeah. and I have I manage my finances finances really conservatively, so I always have weeks of my salary and my expenses and all of those things in my bank account to pay myself and, you know, meet all my expenses when things do get slow. But I did have a moment of, ah, what's going on? what's going on and Katie came along and booked up like 20 days (laughs) (laughs) so I posted on social media a couple of things and I you know spent a week that I had didn't have as many bookings in and was a bit slower actually putting myself out there and it was the tap turned on again the leads tap turned on and it's all fine now I haven't had a period like that for a while where I haven't had been booked up um actually probably since, you know, the very early days of running my business. So I think next time I take a couple of months off, it's not just about booking the month that I come back. It's about making sure that I have my marketing ready to hit the ground running and automated in a way as much as I can or pre-scheduled so that I'm ticking over for the, you know, months after that. So I'll plan for that next time. Yeah. And I think from a client perspective, the thing I love about those really constrained projects or that time-based project is that I know that you're going to get something to me by the end of the day mm. that I can work with that's either completely done or that needs like me to load it up and ready to go. I like that 
that immediacy aspect of yeah. a day rate booking over, I probably pref- I prefer them over a project base where client-wise I'm like, when's that going to get delivered or whatever. I know I've got the pieces. It's my responsibility to make sure I've got all the pieces in play. So whenever I'm looking at booking day rates with people, I make sure that I've, okay, well, I want Anna to work on the sales page by here. So I need to make sure I've gotten all my surveys out and all my voice of customer data and everything before then. So it also puts the onus back on that client as well. And the benefit of having those time-based projects is, so there's there's pros and cons to both with, with mine where it's more of a retainer-based work. I know I've got very much consistent revenue month in, month out, and I can very much forward plan that way. But also there's that lack of ability to say, well, I'm taking off January altogether because then what happens to that retainer-based client? So there's pros and cons to both where I have the ability to forward plan a little bit more and have maybe more consistency, but you have the ability to set clearer boundaries around when you will and won't work. Whereas with ongoing client work, you know, you're expected to maybe respond to emails when they come in and you don't have that level of expectation, I think, on when you're working on time-based projects, which I can imagine would be really um, enticing. Yes. Yes. I used to have retainer clients and um, I think I did that for maybe just over a year and went, oh, this isn't a good model for me because my uh, tendency to over deliver. (laughs) Yes, that's me too. Yeah. Really hard to. It's hard. Boundaries when you have somebody who's paid you for your services for the month and so Mm. feel entitled to contacting you at any point slipping things in and you know my own tendency to go oh yeah of course it's not a problem it's only five minutes work but that five minutes of work or that half an hour of work actually takes double or triple that because you have to switch off what you were working on get back into the mode of this work I can be much more focused and concentrated with my efforts when I'm just working with one client at a time yes they really do get the most it's it, it is the most value of of my whole brain and not mm. a distracted and you know half on this and I'll switch over to this and this puzzle of making all the pieces fit it's like that's the day and you get all that time and you get all of me and it's I'm really enjoying it and I'm and I'm seeing lots of benefits to it for me and for my clients as well that immediate gratification that comes from having the work delivered at the end, like this thing that you've been sitting on for ages, like you know you need to get your emails done and, okay, da, 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 da. you book the day at the end of the day, it's done. You mm. have the thing. You get to work with it straight away as this thing that you might have been thinking about and stressing over and pondering on. All of a sudden it's done. And from a client you know that there's going to be a deliverable at the end of the day rather than maybe if you book in with someone that on a more project-based, then you don't know when that's when you're going to get that so it's harder to plan around like if I'm getting something for launch I hired you I could hire you up to a couple of days before the launch essentially because I knew that as long as I had a day to be able to load it up into my system it was done like it's all good to go so you kind of can work on tighter time frames as well yeah yeah um and I, I think just thinking about it with the style of business that you have where it's more of those time-bound um, working relationships, is that probably suits more of a solopreneur that doesn't want to have a team? Whereas I knew that when I started my style of business where it is those ongoing client management relationships that if I wanted to have a third baby, that the only way that I could maintain an existing relationship with ongoing clients was I need, and if I only wanted to work certain days a week, I want to have more of a part-time business model, 
I need to also have support. And yes. so I hired a full time and because, uh, who's amazing that because I knew that if I want to get to the position where I work Monday, Tuesday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm offline Monday and Friday, and I am able to take a period off at Christmas time or with maternity, that I need to have someone else around because from a, to make it fair on my clients that they're covered year round, but also to make it fair on me and my family as well, that I'm not yes. just working. So I think there's, you can definitely do my business model when you are solo, but you have to just expect that there's less of that clear distinction between time on and time off yes, or fixed periods of long breaks or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I tried um, the subcontracting model for a while. So taking on more projects and I could deliver and subcontracting out pieces of work to other writers, but it just, it wasn't a good fit for mm. me. Uh, I knew that the work that was being delivered by the subcontractors I needed to check over mm. um, it and the buck stops know, with you at the end of the day to, and it does when it's your brand that's where the reputation and that if I was going to make that model work I had to I knew that I was going to have to invest more of my time and energy and money into retaining really good subcontractors mm. keeping them finding them keeping and them. copywriters are very when you find a good copywriter they probably get booked up really quickly too. Really quickly. So you can't have to find a crappy one and train them up. (laughs) Exactly. Managing their availability, Mm. managing their, you know, project management, managing deliverables. And I worked closely with other copywriters who were running uh, that kind of agency subcontractor model and doing it really well. And their strengths were in the client management, in the relationship management, in the project management, and they liked spending time there and they didn't like spending as much time in the actual writing Mm. and for me the real joy comes from the writing so I just it wasn't a good fit for me and for me in this you know copywriting industry to to go down that model but I've seen it work brilliantly for others and I think that's a wonderful thing is that when you're a solo solo entrepreneur is that you can you can try these different ways of working and find what fits for you and for your style and for where your strengths are and for what there's so many different ways to do it. There are. And I think that it's important to find the right business model that suits you and that works with your lifestyle as well. Like we have the similar age children. My daughter just went to school this year as well, and I've got one in daycare. And you do need to work with the stage of life that you're at. And there's no one size fits all approach to growing a service-based business. That's this is the model that you need to go down. You need to hire a team and you need to do this because that might not be the right model for you. And that might move you away from doing the things that you love. Like you said, the higher you get in becoming more of a project manager, the less you actually spend time doing the thing that you started the business to do, which was for write copy. Yeah. I do have one question before we wrap up um, about scope creep. You kind of touched on it a little bit bit before, and this has Mm. only recently happened to me where, um, we, I don't tend to do one-off projects. A one-off project for me would look like doing an account setup and then not doing any of the account management, because what usually happens is it's kind of like what you were saying about, you know, you go in to write the one bit of copy, but then suddenly you realize that the emails aren't up to scratch or that the web page, the design isn't good. And so you can't actually get the best out of that juicy bit of copy that you've written. So it's really not much point even getting it done. And that's kind of the same with an account set up. Like you can set up an account, but if it's then going to be not managed properly or if it's not 
So anyway, I engaged, I did this one off sort of job as a favor. It was a very tight scope. This is the job. It's no ongoing work. And I had the situation where they kept emailing me being like, you know, what should I do in this situation? What should I do here? And I found myself getting resentful that I had done the job in the first place. How do you deal with clients that do, they probably don't intentionally um, realize that they're overstepping the boundaries of that scope. But when, yeah, how have you dealt with those situations in the past? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's hard Uh, because I'm a people pleaser and I want to do it. And yeah, I do. I deal with it really poorly. Poorly, poorly, not, not well. And then get resentful and then, you you know, I do the work and then I'm like, I'm not getting paid for this work. And yeah, or or sit on an email and wait a little bit longer to respond because you don't want to do the work but then you and and now it's really simple I just say sure book up a 90 minute session and we'll yes and we'll bang that out in that time and the and the thing that happens is that I you know there's this narrative with copywriters and I don't know if it's with others but if you if you charge people by the hour like I'm doing a time-based model and people know your hourly rate then they undervalue your time they undervalue what you deliver because they look at that number for that hour and they think oh she should be delivering this or she should be doing this or whatever it might be but actually what I'm finding is that the opposite is true people are valuing my time so much more and not asking me to do things or help with things that they you know potentially could do themselves or or could find a more affordable option to to fix or to problem solve or to deliver because they're paying for that time that I'm spending doing that thing so they're valuing that thing that I'm delivering more mm. cuz i guess it's more upfront you know that for 6 hours it's going to cost x amount which re- works out to be X amount per hour. Whereas when it's a project base, it's like, there's no fixed, this is how many hours I'm spending on the project. And yeah, so I think I'm terrible with dealing with it because I am such a people pleaser. I don't want to have, and it's not a great quality to have when you're running your own business. No, no, it's really, it, 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 it means that you deliver really good work, but I think you have to you have to find ways to get um, very honest with yourself about what it's costing you to deliver that work. Mm. And I'm just, uh, you know, I've I've done quite a bit of work on my boundaries and direct communication and all of those sort of things before evolving to this model and way of working. But I am thrilled that I have found it and that I can structure my business around being able to deliver my best without sacrificing my self, all the things that I need in my life and my business. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time today. It's I feel like we could have just chatted about this sort of stuff. I love hearing about how other service-based businesses, the behind the scenes of what kind of goes on and and what, and that you can, I think it's really important for people to understand that you can sell things in a really ethical way and that that is still really compelling and really, really effective um, and probably more effective, like you said, in generating that long-term sustainable business model where you have people coming back again and again because they know that you deliver on your word from a from the, the the copywriting perspective but also from what you're writing copy about that that thing delivers on what you're saying it does can you tell people where they can get in touch with you or find out more about you if they want to stalk you yeah, I mostly hang out on Instagram and my handle is Anna Rogan Writer. Um, and I have a website as well. It's anarogan.com and you can jump on my mailing list if you pop over to my website or check out the link in my bio on Instagram. And I 
send emails. It used to be weekly and then I went on holidays and that thing happened, but I will be kicking them off again. And you can see beautiful shots of your property as well. Yes, the olive farm. The olive farm. Well, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know that I got a lot out of it and just I love hearing and understanding the inner workings and the behind the scenes of how other people run their business. And like I was talking about with Anna, it's so important if you do have a service-based business or any type of business really that you're creating one that works with your lifestyle and what you want to achieve and who you want to work with. And that can sometimes take a while to nut out, especially when you're first getting started. So I loved hearing Anna's perspective on all of that. If you want to connect with her, all the links are in the show notes. If you want to connect with me, I'm at katiegriffin underscore on Instagram. You can shoot me a DM, let me know what you thought of this episode. And also rate and review this episode. That always makes my day. And I will talk to you on next week's podcast.